a set of sound triggers um, or even visual triggers that stimulate your central nervous system. It tends to have a soothing voice and a kind and caring disposition. Gratifying tingling sensation on your scalp. It's been around forever. People who experience it have always experienced it, but they just didn't know there was a name for it. There's a name for it now. Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response, ASMR, is considered to be a phenomenon both socially and scientifically. Those tingles that you get down the back of your neck as your hairs stand on end. And if you experience it, then you can probably pinpoint which sounds bring out that reaction in all you. Because believe it or not, whilst each individual may experience it differently, it's something that people all over the world can feel. My name is Abigail, and on this episode of the Immersive Audio Podcast, we're going to explore the world of ASMR, the feeling of sound. Before getting into the growing online community of ASMR fans, I wanted to learn more about what ASMR actually is, how it works, and whether it was just psychological or if there were physical elements to it. I got in contact with Dr. Craig Richard, a senior lecturer of pharmaceutical sciences at the Shenandoah University in Virginia, and one of the founders of the ASMR University Online, and he gave me some of his time to talk about his work and discoveries. One of my earliest memories is coming home from school, and I turn on the it's a you know a, a U.S. television series, Bob Ross's Joy of Painting, and he had this kind disposition. He was just a gentle mannered individual, and he was just teaching people how to paint. But his soothing voice, the way he would tap onto the canvas with his paintbrush, just his tap. Tap, tap, tap. And then he was also just so kind about how to paint. He'd say, you know, don't worry about mistakes. And they're just happy little accidents. And I would fall asleep in front of the TV. The joy of painting may have just been a TV show for some people. But for Dr. Richard, it was a pathway to discovery. I learned about ASMR in 2013 in my kitchen, listening to a podcast that was doing an episode explaining ASMR. And I didn't believe it at first. I was like, what is this? I've never heard of this autonomous sensory meridian response, and I'm a physiologist. And I was about to delete the episode until they talked about examples like Bob Ross. I was like, oh, he relaxes me and puts me to sleep. And they talked about getting haircuts. I'm like, ah, I love haircuts. And so sure enough, by the end of the episode, I was convinced whatever this ASMR thing is, I experience it. And because I'm a physiologist and a researcher and a scientist, I was hungry to learn about, you know, what is the biology behind this? What is, you know, how does this elicit this response? And then it was time to research. Or so he thought. Turned out that back then, there was nothing around about ASMR to look at, let alone study. And I went searching. And in 2013, there there were not any peer-reviewed publications about ASMR. And there really weren't many places that, that really we're looking at trying to understand and explain ASMR. So in, in 2014, I created the website ASMR University to collect, to synthesize, and to report on ASMR from every perspective, from the artistic perspective and also the scientific perspective. And it's just the more you know about something, then the better you can understand it. From falling asleep to the voice of Bob Ross to creating an entire institution dedicated to research on the subject, Dr. Richard had come a long way. Now that I knew more about what ASMR is and what it feels like to experience it, 
I wanted to know why those feelings would arise in the circumstances where specific triggers would crop up. There are just so many different types of triggers. I think a good parallel to understanding the variety of triggers is thinking about music, that there's a lot of categories of music and there's a lot of songs and there's a lot of artists and no one enjoys all of them, but everyone has their favorites and the same with food. And so it is with ASMR triggers that what I enjoy is an ASMR trigger. You may not enjoy as an ASMR trigger. A big difference between music, food, and ASMR triggers is that you only experience music through sound. You only really experience food by taste and smell. But ASMR triggers are experienced through sounds, through touch, through visuals. And so it's a much more multi-sensory experience. And that just adds to the complexities and the varieties of triggers that you can experience. So just like how I like pineapple on my pizza, not everyone is going to be with me on the kinds of triggers that I would like. And that's the same for anyone. But in terms of giving you guys information on what a trigger actually is, here's Dr. Diego Garo, a senior lecturer of music tech at Keele University. Triggers are the sounds or visual stimuli of situations that... Uh, uh, set off that particular tingling response on the people who are predisposed to it. Triggers are the cause of ASMR rather than a product of it. So the big question is, why do they work? Dr. Richard has some theories relating to the functions of human survival. Yeah, most of this is, is theoretical, but to me, it, it makes a lot of sense in that I think it originates from survival, which is always a safe place to start when you're theorizing why we might experience something. And I think it's we've evolved a pattern recognition system about who we trust and who we bond with, a easy way to understand this is to understand the, the opposite. Like if you were to visualize a threatening individual, what are the stimuli that they're doing that would make you feel unsafe? Well, they'd make loud noises, they'd make abrupt noises, they'd be shouting, they'd be yelling, they'd be making fast, which you would interpret as scary or frightening movements. And if they touched you, it would not be in a kind way, it'd be in a rough way. Yeah, that definitely sounds like someone I'd avoid. And loud sounds do tend to give me that intense feeling of dread. Pretty much checks out. So all you do is just, you flip that around. And non-threatening individuals, they speak softly. They speak gently. Any sounds they make are not abrupt sounds. They make slow movements. So it's predictable. You don't feel threatened. And if they touch you, they touch you very lightly. And so we need this mechanism of when we meet people, whether it's, you know, we're, we're infants, we're children, we're adults, of immediately trying to assess, are these people safe? So on the other hand, people we would have a positive relationship with are assumed to sound more gentle and kind. And so this might be a, you know, happening between an infant and a parent, between two friends, between romantic partners. With the ASMR University established, Dr. Richard created the ASMR Research Project with Jennifer Allen and Carissa Burnett. Both of these women are a part of ASMRresearch.org, and together with Dr. Richard, launched a survey which can be found on the ASMR University website. They hope that this will be able to create a huge source of information about the types of people who do and don't experience ASMR. Your brain is always taking in 
all these stimuli of their behaviors. And it's interpreting that as, is this someone to trust or is this someone not to trust? And so I think ASMR taps into that, that hard wiring that we have. And so those gentle sounds and those caring voices tell us that we're safe. And when we feel safe, we feel relaxed. Once the trio set up their website, it was time to launch a survey. And the amount of responses continued to grow at an amazing rate. Yeah, so we, we launched that in the same year of launching the website. So the research project was, in, was initiated in 2014. And it's a global online survey that I created with Carissa Burnett and Jennifer Allen. And Jennifer Allen is the woman who coined the term autonomous sensory meridian response. Having that huge geological range of participants has had a great impact on the conclusions they can draw from the answers that they've gotten. Here are a few examples. And so far, we've had over 24,000 responses. And it's helping us to understand some basic but very important aspects of ASMR. I mean, just the fact we've gotten 24,000 responses says this is something people are interested in. But also of those 24,000 responses, most of them are saying they do experience ASMR. That's not so much of a shocker because there's so many people watching ASMR videos, millions of people that we, we didn't know. We understood there were lots of people experiencing ASMR. What our survey has additionally shown us is that these people are in almost every country that's filling out our survey. So we've had responses from over 110 different countries. And that provides more of a potential biological basis to ASMR rather than a cultural basis. And that links back to the theory of ASMR being related to human survival. We've also found that the top psychological sensation is reported as that deep feeling of relaxation. So that confirms that. And the top physical sensation is these sparkly, staticky head tingles. I think one of our most interesting questions and insightful questions is asking people, if you could only experience ASMR through one type of stimulus, what would you choose? And so far, what we're seeing is that the number one preferred way that's being reported is touch. Voices is number two, sounds is number three, and the visual aspect comes in last. I particularly find that interesting because it does mirror this origin basis of ASMR, that when you're first born, the main way you're going to be soothed is to be touched. You know, anytime you see a fussing infant like they're just sitting around everywhere, but if you're in the company of a, of a you know, a fussy infant or a crying infant, the first thing you're going to want to do or the first thing you will do is hold that infant. And then you're going to speak to it. And then you're going to start making sounds. And all of those are common ASMR triggers. So there's lots of biological factors when it comes to the effects of ASMR. But it's also important to consider the impact it may have on our health because of those effects on our minds. It's common knowledge that a lot of people experience ASMR and they use it to feel calmer. But would it be fair to say that it could help someone with, say, social anxiety and people who suffer from panic attacks or depression and other mood disorders? There really haven't been any widely reported deficits or detriments or problems with experiencing ASMR. There are reports that you hear of someone will really dislike whispering or they dislike mouth sounds. 
but then that's not ASMR. It's uh, it's equivalent of you know tasting a food you don't enjoy. You just you don't eat that food. So for people who do experience ASMR, they do feel deeply relaxed, and they might be might be experiencing those head tingles. It seems like ASMR doesn't really do anything harmful beyond some people just not liking the head tingles, which is great. Now here's some positive effects that Dr. Richard has had reported to him. The majority of these individuals are reporting they're feeling de-stressed as a, as a benefit of that relaxation is that they come home, you know, after a tough day or they're just having a rough moment. And, you know, whether it's through a video, a podcast, or maybe a, a loved one that's in their company, but whoever's stimulating their ASMR they see that as a distressor. And in our research, we've also asked about people who um, have been diagnosed with anxiety, if ASMR is helpful to them. And about half of them report that, and this is self-reported, so it's not a, a, a clinical study. And about half of them say that experiencing ASMR is helpful to them. And in a similar way, for those that are diagnosed or report to be diagnosed with insomnia, about half of those also report that experiencing ASMR is helpful to them. So there appears to be some great benefits, but there definitely will need to be some well-done clinical studies to, to confirm this. ASMR gives people a calming sensation through the feeling of closeness and proximity to someone caring for us. Dr. Richard has been researching the health benefits of ASMR in the writing of his book scheduled to be released in September of this year, in the hopes to provide tips and tricks for anyone who wants to use ASMR to enrich their lives. It's, it's the, the step I, I kind of noticed was missing, um, that you can either go online and experience intentional or unintentional ASMR. Like if you're watching an ASMR artist in a video, then you're experiencing intentional ASMR. If you're watching a Bob Ross video, then you're experiencing unintentional ASMR because that wasn't what Bob Ross was trying to do. But in our real lives, there is only unintentional ASMR. So my book is more of a guide to help explain people, explain to people how they can utilize and incorporate person-to-person intentional ASMR for doing things like I, I previously mentioned. Um, soothing infants, soothing distraught children, friends just getting together for that enjoyment, um, or services like spas wanted to incorporate it. So it just has basically one chapter that explains, you know, the, you know for people who enjoy the, the, the nerdy science aspects of it. But then most of it is really a guide where each chapter just talks about one trigger type. It tells you how to do that trigger type and then a bunch of examples of how you could, you know, certain tools and, and methodology and tips and techniques for effectively inducing relaxation in someone through these ASMR triggers. At this point, you'll hopefully have a pretty solid idea of what ASMR is, what it does and how it works. After chatting with Dr. Richard, I immediately thought about how ASMR could be used in film and media to share the effects with an audience. And I came across Avril Furness, a virtual reality filmmaker, writer and producer, and I had to get in touch with her to ask her about her relationship with VR and ASMR as a creator. 
immersive stuff, if you open yourself up to it, it just makes you feel really good. And it has more of a profound effect, perhaps, than other mediums. And opening it out to a wider audience is definitely a good thing because, you know, the more people that see these things, the more our more ideas are kind of disseminated and and um, the more artists and filmmakers can kind of you know share an experience so like a lot a lot of the documentaries and the, the stuff that I'm making at the moment is sort of like sharing the profound experience that perhaps people will never actually be able to witness firsthand and you know Certainly the first film I made, putting you in the shoes of someone having an assisted suicide, you know, not many people are going to experience that. But also, you know, and the film that I've just made in Lebanon with a charity out there um, in the Middle East, you know, not many people are going to be able to experience the experience that I've just uh, created in the short 360 interactive film that I've just made. And it's really definitely fantastic to disseminate that feeling to the wider world to raise awareness. Immersive sound is like a doorway that allows us to truly hear what other people hear and puts us in the shoes of another person. And the empathy that Avril creates through her work is put to good use. But that's only one of the ways that she uses 360 degree sound and one of the possible results. Listen to the way that Avril describes another use of immersive sound and see if it sounds familiar. So certainly a lot of charities uh, are obviously jumping on on board um, virtual reality filmmaking, um, but also, you know, I think that immersive filmmaking can be used in very positive ways, not just raising awareness, but like for health benefits and for sharing, you know, the sort of meditative um, aspects of calming people down. And I'm certainly interested in uh, the therapeutic values of what creating an immersive environment does. I was fascinated by the therapeutic properties of being able to treat someone with, you know, an anxiety disorder or PTSD, but also, you know, from for myself, for my talking just from my own personal experience, you know, I, I hadn't suffered um, anything quite so dramatic, but I knew personally watching these ASMR videos, it really kind of puts me into a state of relaxation and um, like a real tranquil, calm place. And so creating a film that brings this experience to others is definitely a really brilliant thing. And even if you don't experience these kind of physiological, kind of physical responses to watching these ASMR videos, it still takes you out of yourself momentarily during that experience. And it does have uh, like a calming effect, even if it doesn't give you like physical triggers. But also, you know, I think that um, sound has a real a beautiful uh, property of transporting you from one state to another and it's not just a calming meditation it's like it makes you f- make you can feel it in your skin and you can feel it in your head and you can feel it in your hands and it makes you feel calm and you can still feel something and i think that you know immersive pieces of film they remind us of our deep kind of seated human nature in some weird way and also, like, you know, immersive films take us out of ourselves momentarily and they allow us to, to calm our minds and to to not get caught up in ourselves, you know. And it's, it's actually quite nice just to kind of step outside of our brain, our crazy neurotic brains for, for a moment. ASMR provides that escapism for so many people. And I wanted to know how Avril came to creating that kind of immersive film that delivers the experience in the first place. 
So my my boyfriend at the time had an Oculus Rift development kit, um, just kind of like in the corner of the room. And I thought, oh, that would be really cool to make something for that headset. How do I go about making that? Um, you know, how, and I, I kind of watched one of the, he had several demos on his Oculus Rift and one of them was a Star Wars thing and another one was like a Tuscany demo. So you could walk through this kind of digital Italian landscape with kind of like digital butterflies flying around. And I thought, oh, it would be really cool to make something really cinematic and really engaging and quite emotional for that headset. So I'd written this very tongue in cheek, dark script. But then, you know, in my investigations and my research into, into this script, I discovered that there was an incredible exhibition on at Bristol Museum about death. And in this exhibition, there was a replica room of the room at Dignitas, which is a Swiss clinic where people go to end their lives. And so I went up to the museum and I sat in this room and I thought, wow, you know, this is incredible, this space, you know, so many profound things happen in this in this room. How can I share this experience that I'm having sitting on this sofa, listening to, the, you know, there's a directional speaker playing in my ear about, a, you know, some guy giving a testimonial about what he went through in, in the run up to, to visiting Dignitas in Switzerland. And I thought, wow, you know, how can I bring, how can I demystify what someone's last moments looks like in this space? And then I immediately thought, well, brilliant you know this is a film this is a ready-made film set why don't I get a 360 camera and bring it into this space um, so that's what I did and I worked with the Bristol Museum and and I wrote a script that was based on uh, lots of different scripts that I transcribed from watching people on YouTube take their own lives I think that lots of people who'd gone through the process of having euthanasia had to have those last moments filmed for legal reasons. So I kind of watched these videos on YouTube and I transcribed what the conversations that happened between the, you know, the loved ones in that situation and, you know, what the Dignitas representative said. And then I kind of uh, presented this transcript to Dignitas and I asked them whether this was a authentic script and they said absolutely. And I shared it with a few other people um, that had experience of taking their loved ones there. So with a little bit of artistic license and a little bit of help um, and authentication from Dignitas, I went ahead and filmed. And through her work in VR filmmaking, she met one of her future collaborators, Emma Smith. This is Emma. And this is to make you sleeping. A selection of tea. Emma, also known as Whispers Red on YouTube, is an ASM artist and mother of two based in London. She creates her own ASMR content to share online from her garden shed and has plenty of her own experience in using the power of audio to affect someone's mood and tranquility. A perfect match for Avril to work with. I discovered an ASMR artist called Whispers Red, um, Emma, and uh, she came along to watch a film that I'd made, my very first VR film. And so she worked in the world of sound, and I worked in creating this 360 video. And so I had a conversation with her on the stairs, and she we bumped into each other and I asked her what, what she thought of my film and 
Um, and that's kind of what sparked our relationship. And we then subsequently met up on a very rainy afternoon in uh, Waterloo. I think we had a coffee and we, we were discussing the, the kind of exciting collaboration and potential ideas of getting together, of combining ASMR and the, the world that she works in and that the sort of immersive audio sound world and the immersive 360 filmmaking world that um, I was slowly kind of learning about and working in. And, you know, ASMR is like incredible because it, it triggers physiological, physical responses in, in the person watching these videos. And of course, like 360 film and virtual reality environments in filmic terms, they're both very immersive in terms of completely saturating the viewer in whatever environment that is. So combining those two things, ASMR and the filmic world, I thought would be incredible because it would just kind of perhaps like subsume and um, overwhelm and just basically have like a doubling effect on the viewer and really enrich their experience twofold. Um, and I really wanted to see how combining those two things would enrich the experience for the viewer. Once the collaboration began, Avril got to witness, experience and create the effects of intense 360 ASMR. I think it's it's another beautiful element of a virtual reality filmmaking that really puts situates the viewer there physically not only visually are you put in that environment but you're physiologically stimulated to being really present i think the beautiful quality of sound is that if you really listen to it and if you really tap into really being present and kind of accepting it and just really really listening intently you're put into the moment and it's very meditative and so it very much is a very kind of um, immersive element to have in VR. While say ASMR as a term was only coined in 2010 by Jennifer Allen, what's considered to be the event that helped kickstart the recognition of ASMR started upload of a video in 2009 by the YouTube user Whispering Life. And she said, I don't know why I'm doing this but I enjoy hearing people whisper so I'm just making this video. And it took off from there because people really enjoyed listening to her voice and they were saying, that's giving me that feeling I've always had. And then it started the conversation. Actually, people have been talking about it online before that, but it's just grown and grown and grown. And then over time, we found that the videos that we make to induce that feeling are now helping people to fall asleep because as once you feel calm, and at peace and your mind is empty because you've been focusing on one particular thing in a video, you're able to fall asleep then. Fast forward to today, you only have to search ASMR on YouTube and you'll come across far too many channels to list that specialise in creating content in its own writing genre. Emma, who you heard whispering to you earlier, is one of those creators who I had the pleasure of talking to about her life with ASMR. I was always aware of it. But I tried to explain it to people throughout my life as a child. Later on, no one really understood what it was I was talking about. I did find out later that my brother experiences it and he called it the golden feeling. He just decided that that was the name for it himself. But we, don't, we never spoke to each other about it. Um, so it's just part of my normal sensory day-to-day -day experience. It happens sometimes and then it didn't, you know. But I've always been a sensitive person, so I'm, I'm aware of that anyway. Sensitivity to both sound and emotion is a great starting point for the exploration into ASMR. 
but some people end up finding it through necessity when it can be life-changing. Emma rediscovered and used ASMR for its calming properties after being diagnosed with PTSD, using it alongside therapy to aid in her recovery. Um, and then I had a car accident and I was laid up for a while, had lots of operations, all kinds of things happened all at the same time. And it caused me to experience after all of the physical stuff was dealt with um, issues and I ended up being diagnosed with PTSD. I couldn't sleep. I was just hyper in the evenings and my mind was going all over the place, replaying this, replaying that, wondering what was going to happen here, what I was going to do here. I could never rest. So I started to, um, I remembered that I used to listen to The Goon Show when I was a lot younger on tapes before I went to bed and I just enjoyed the sounds. Um, I enjoyed the tape going round, even the click, the tape stopping at the end. It was just really comforting me, for, uh, comforting to me to have something on in the background. Lots of people listen to sounds in the background, don't they? You know, and I thought I'd find nature sounds maybe. So I'm looking on YouTube, uh, looking for nature sounds, and then I end up somehow finding ASMR videos. Emma immediately recognised those tingling sensations and realised that she wasn't alone. And then finally put two and two together and realised that that was the name for the thing I always experienced. And oh my goodness, all these people experience it too and all over the world. And there's, there's a massive community online of people talking about it. I'd never had a full conversation with anyone about it before. And suddenly I could go onto Facebook or wherever and go into an at-length discussion with someone. It was fantastic, and I was using the videos to calm myself down to fall asleep. So it was really, really exciting to, to discover it, but also really therapeutic for me. So I was going to uh, therapy, had CBT, uh, which was amazing, but because I was able to fall asleep, that my therapy was so easy and I just went through the homework like like that because um, I could sleep and I felt happy and calm. From there, listening to videos wasn't enough. Emma wanted to dive in and ended up creating her own videos on YouTube to give back to the online community that had given so much to her. So that's how I discovered ASMR videos and then I just wanted to be part of the community so I started making my own because everybody who was in the community or mostly at that time made their own videos it was very small and they would say to me well what's your channel and I didn't have one so I started one and it was just a hobby and that was that. The community Emma talked about is enormous in the amount of artists and fans who often comment to encourage each other and enjoy these works for their therapeutic properties or simply because they like the sensation that it brings to them. You just have to look under the videos to see the comments of people. People leave stories, really personal stories there sometimes. So everyone else has to catch up really and go, okay, I understand that. Yeah, it's not for me, but I can see how it helps people. All kinds of responses <laughs> from this is weird, um, WTF to you're the most amazing person I've ever seen in my life. So it just goes to show how different everybody is and how different everybody's experience is. I wanted to ask Emma about what she thought about her own popularity as a YouTuber and ASM artist and the popularity of the genre as a whole. I, I don't even 
think about it too much anymore. I just do it because I believe in it so much. Um, it's very, very popular, I think, because it appeals to so many different people. People who are interested in sound, in recording, in production. And most of those people are, are thinking, how on earth can this be so successful? I've just been to study for three, three to five years, learning all of this amazing equipment, and you're doing a, a video that's got a million hits on an iPhone. <laughs> but this is how it is. You know, some of them are really lo-fi and they work. Some of them you put so much effort in, um, maybe 360. It really is the content of the ASMR videos that make them enjoyable, rather than the production values. But who does the genre appeal to, aside from people interested in high-tech sound? They appeal to those people and then to other people who just enjoy the visuals, so just enjoy slow movements and feel relaxed by watching someone do something. Maybe people who experience synesthesia, in a way, because it's a multi-sensory experience. Quick note for you guys at home. Synesthesia is a condition where a person is able to link multiple senses together to one stimulus that might not physically trigger the sense at all such as assigning taste to colours and visual imagery to sound. Back to Emma. People who enjoy watching a massage can kind of feel it on their skin through if, if they have synesthesia. And also people who have anxiety issues maybe don't really, um, maybe want to have that social interaction but not have to go out and see anybody. So you might need to relearn behaviour and have someone smile at you every day and tell you how beautiful you are and then you can feel it and then it gives you the courage to go out and do that. People who experience um, depression, sleeplessness. Of course, there's always a variety of opinions whenever it comes to something and ASMR isn't exempt from criticism which might just be inaccurate preconceptions. And so yeah, I like to talk about it, I like to normalise it as much as possible because I have respect for the people that have gained so much from it. I don't want them to feel bad that they experience a very natural, totally unsexual feeling that feels like taking a sleeping pill and it helps them to fall asleep and be a better person. Even though it does good for so many people over the world, there will always be others who think negatively of ASMR. But Emma is forward-thinking and positive about the progress of normalising the genre and has already seen a change in the way that society sees it as a whole. People do want to make fun of it that's fine they want to ask me is it sexual that's fine but it's becoming less and less of a thing people are more accepting of other ways of relaxing it's just sound it's just a different way of using sound to relax we use music we're used to that we use nature sounds we're used to that now we're getting used to people tapping on a table to relax. There's no difference, it's all an instrument. But when it boils down to it, the majority of people who actively seek out these videos online are mainly interested in the sound over the visuals. And Emma is more interested in hearing how it's helped people in the online community. I wanted to finish things up today by talking about the future and what comes next in the field of ASMR. As mentioned by Dr Richard earlier, there isn't a lot of research out there on ASMR. But in recent years, more studies have taken place to shed some light on the subject. Dr. Diego Garo, who you briefly heard earlier, was the head of one of those studies. ASMR needs to be looked at in um, certainly in a multidisciplinary fashion because there are aspects related to the uh, neurology of it, the mechanism of the tingling sensation, 
the chemistry of it, the production of hormones uh, related to particular states of mind, the psychology of it, why and how ASMR is related to the sphere of the interpersonal closeness, the sociology of it, for example, the role of online communities and the reason for its growing popularity. But what really attracted him to ASMR wasn't completely down to his interest in how it works. He also found himself fascinated by the sociological aspects and the cultural influences. I then also realised that there is a very peculiar form of popular art going on here. And I mean a form of artistic expression which uh, is enabled by modern technology and internet media sharing platforms such as YouTube. And that this form of art is truly popular in the sense that it is made by the people, um, for the people. And I, I think this is truly uh, unique. Sufficiently hooked, Dr. Garrow started looking into the artists themselves. Well, I came across ASMR as an internet phenomenon in 2015. Um, my then 14-year-old daughter, who is an avid YouTube surfer, showed me a few of these strange videos featuring people whispering and making gentle sounds. She described the, the ASMR sensation she was experiencing, and I recognized it immediately. It was something of a revelation because in my childhood years, I, like many others uh, in, in my situation, thought this tingling sensation was something, something peculiar and not worth exploring or discussing with other people. And I had no idea others felt it too. Uh, and I became intrigued first by the knowledge that this was apparently a sensation I shared with my own daughter, but also with other people out there. He found that there was a solid relationship between both artists and fans, constantly feeding each other to create and enjoy more art. Then I also became in, in, intrigued by the type of work carried out by some um, ASMR content creators. Um, I thought they were terrific performer artists in their own right. Um, I thought they were creative, they had a very imaginative approach to the production of video content uh, for the ASMR community and they seem to be really committed, um, mostly without any personal or financial return. Um, I then decided to research into ASMR because I I work as a lecturer and uh, my research is concerned with experimental uh, sound and video artistic languages. I, and, and I noticed that some um, ASM artists were concerned with high quality sound recording and that they were using microphones to capture minute detail of sound, which is something I'm also very passionate about. I observed these artists and it occurred to me that they were extremely communicative and that what they did were, were true performances of some form of audio or audio and video artistic expression. I became very interested in this artistic dimension of the work they carried out um, because I saw some sort of contiguity between what they did in a semi-improvised way in front of cameras and microphones and some of the things I was uh, researching on 
as a fixed media audio and audiovisual artist and composer. Um, I then also became interested in the role of ASMR as a community uh, concerned with the general sense of personal and collective well-being, which is something in intriguing and in, in my view even more interesting and more important than the tingling sensation I described earlier. So I am looking at ASMR both as a platform uh, for artistic expression and uh, also as a form of modern uh, post-medical um, approach to therapy. At its very core, Dr. Garrow understands the need and supply taking place for the specific area of content. But like everything else, the popularity of something is related to the existence of a demand, um, a need for this something. And this is very interesting because ASMR is no longer a peculiar oddity which purpose is to elicit on a small population of fans this strange physical reaction of the tingles. But it is now a massive phenomenon that attracts the attention of millions of people who are very much interested in uh, or even in need of um, some form of human uh, interaction and closeness. And the unique thing about this interaction is that it happens with very unusual modalities. And everything is, uh, everything is quiet. And everything is uh, sedate. And everything is calm and relaxed. Um, there is obviously a need out there for slowing down and enjoy some content over the internet that is uh, personal, authentic, and perhaps a proxy for some form of closeness and care, and uh, slow. I think there is a desire for the reappropriation of someone's time, and uh, perhaps a longing for some kind of harmony with our own selves. Um, a harmony that many seems to uh, be able to reach through the experience of enjoying ASMR content. I asked everyone about the future of ASMR and where it will take us, and there was a unanimously positive response. It's already having a huge effect. It is not just a matter of uh, potential, and ASMR already is a uh, phenomenon that has huge impact on millions of people. If anything, its potential is to grow further, both in terms of its reach, its audiences, and uh, also in terms of its uh, development as an idiom and as a culture. I think it's wonderful that more and more people now are thinking that they ought to take control and notice more how they feel so that they can be in charge of themselves. And it's just one of those things that you can do in your path to self-discovery. You know, it's really important that we learn about ourselves so that we can feel responsible and make changes and be a better person. Everyone's just kind of squirreling themselves away on their phones going out for dinner, not talking to anyone else, not necessarily communicating with people and just being very kind of isolated, isolating themselves with, with their phones and with their tablets. And I think that the connection and the intimacy shared between people is becoming kind of less and less potentially. And I think that maybe, you know, 
immersive media perhaps still allows us to be human in a way because it's it, it sort of allows us to tap into our bodies in a way but you know the ASMR community is incredible because it when you watch these videos that these artists make it still allows us to feel things i think the next big step is social right now most people are experiencing ASMR through ASMR videos and podcasts and there's a huge amount of benefit to that what's not happening so much right now is that people are intentionally getting together to experience and stimulate ASMR in each other which is the ultimate root of ASMR that we're in the company of someone who cares for us and so you could go to a hairdresser and you go to a clinician and a lot of people experience ASMR in those settings so i think the next big step is going to be people learning how to incorporate and wanting to incorporate ASMR to help their infant fall asleep to help soothe the distraught child friends getting together and looking to stimulate ASMR in each other and being incorporated into services you've been listening to the immersive audio podcast if you enjoyed this episode please be sure to follow the immersive audio podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and you can go to Apple Podcasts to rate review and subscribe you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at 1618Digital to see more episodes and for more daily content about the world of immersive audio. This is a new format we've been wanting to try, and hopefully we'll be able to make more of these in the future about all sorts of great topics. If there's anything you'd like to hear an episode about, be sure to get in contact with us. A huge thank you to Dr. Craig Richard, Dr. Diego Garo, Avril Furness and Emma Smith for taking the time to chat with us about their work and research. This episode was produced by Abigail Burcham, Gillian Duffy, Oliver Cadell and Giacomo Corpino and included music by Finns Fandango and Nobs Bergamo. That's it from me today. Thanks for listening, and I hope to see you back for the next special episode.